Shop the biggest health and beauty brands in-store or online at the lowest prices every day at Chemist Warehouse. Looking through red and black lenses, it's In The Red with Justin Marshall and Ricardo Ball on SENZ. Yes, a very good evening. Uh, as you'd be aware, Ricardo Ball has just ended his shift. He, in fact, is back in the pavilion. I'm coming out sort of at first drop alongside of me, Betty Nat, number four, of course, is Justin Marshall. And we're talking all things Crusaders this half an hour. Uh, the telephone number 0800 150 You can text us here on 8833. Mr Marshall, good evening. Welcome. Good evening, Watto. Good evening to everybody and welcome into, into the red. Uh, wow, mate. What another fascinating weekend of super rugby amongst other things i don't want to start off the show by gloating but i will because uh, there was other sporting events going on at the weekend Watto, and um mate you know how hard it is to pick a major winner it's not easy is it really well not a major winger but a major championship winger well a winner i picked justin thomas i tell you that? you would have been you would have been sitting there going damn I, i'm I'm going to come up just a little bit short after the yep. 17th, and then yep. at the 18th, you would have been dancing in the streets. Yeah, when he missed that part on the 17th, and I sort of thought to myself, he probably needed that, and that old mate was going to definitely um, make par at least on the 18th, but as it transpired, that didn't happen. And Zella Torres, uh, to his, I guess, uh, pedigree, the making a putt, and he hadn't made putts all day to take it into the playoff, but yeah, I thought I was out of the mix, to be perfectly honest. So I got him early doors as well. So, yeah, it was a good payout. But as, as, as always, mate, you know, uh, average gambers all, all, always only tell you about, about their wins and not well, how much they've lost. But there, I'll take it. Yeah, I do have a saying, Las Vegas wasn't built on winners, Justin. <laughs> yeah, well, i tell you what, no true uh, word could be spoken, I think. Oh, I've got to say, the back nine of a major golf championship on the oh. final day is the most compelling sport you can watch. If you want to see a metaphor for humanity, for life, um, you see it all, don't you? you? You you get a quick understanding why there is a need for sports psychologists. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll tell you what, coming from, you know, an environment like I've been in with rugby, and I, I probably I probably put it in the category of goal kickers when they're at a World Cup, you know, the Stephen Donald thing, where... Everything's on the line, and basically at that stage and at only that stage in the game, you become an individual. And when I was watching the, the, the golf and the finish of that, that's how I can kind of relate it to rugby, where, you know, you, you live and die by the sword as a goal kicker. You know, you could miss a crucial penalty conversion, and that's the game gone. And, and as an individual, you're the one who has to shoulder that. And the whole team goes in and puts the arm around you and goes, oh, it's not your fault. We could have done more during the game, mate, you know, blah, blah, blah. But... You know, I watched, you know, Thomas on that first playoff hole hit that really, really good drive, um, but it went into the rough and he had to play out and then he had to back his chip. And I was just thinking there's millions of people watching that whole crowd and he stiffs it to, I think, eight feet or something like that and makes a putt. Yeah, I think I'd crumble in that environment, to be honest. It's tough, though, isn't it? Because you then have to live. You can be a really good husband, father, a really good guy. You've never done anything wrong in your life. And then suddenly mm. you have one of those if-only moments and you're sort of labelled for the rest of your life. You almost get this prison sentence for life. And I use, like, World Cup football when you miss that crucial penalty and a penalty shootout. And you're like, I don't deserve yep. this, but now I have to live with it. This is what I'm going to be remembered for. Yeah, absolutely right. And, and you know what? The greats of any sport are the ones that clutch those moments. And, you know, I felt in my time when I played with the All Blacks 
and, and given that we're we're obviously um, talking about the Crusaders and then the Red, although I'm sort of still gloating about my golf bet, <laughs> was, you know, that's how I felt when Mets needed to clutch something, you know. Like, he, he, he even, yeah, I played with DC, but not enough, I guess. Um, so, really throughout my period, you know, Mets was, he was, that, he was my Grant Fox. And when we were basically in the crap in test matches or behind, not playing well, and he was still knocking uh, penalties over from 35, 40, 45 metres from all different sorts of angles, you know, you, you respect that skill, you know, what, whatever sport it might be. That, that individual that can step up and be a marksman like that, um, you know, you think of Steph Curry in the NBA, you know, all, all of those individuals are great because, Mm. They handle the pressure, they handle the moment, and they always deliver. But your frailties are, like I say, this is the difference between individual and team sports, and I used to say this about the Ironman and people who went up and do the Hawaii race, and you go, boy, when you fall apart up there, it is there for everybody to see. I mean, you can be having a slightly bad day in a team game, and there are players that you can sort of hide behind. It's not always that obvious, is it? No, it's not. And I guess you've got to feel that. Forgive me, you might be able to help me out. I think it was, was his name, Parisi, the guy that... Perez or Perez, the guy that bottled it, who was winning the PGA Today um, tournament, who out of Chile, you know, he'd won. Sorry, the the Chilean. Yes, yeah, yeah. Someone will help us out there. We all know who he's and Peri- look, he, he P- had the Pereira, Pereira, Pereira. There you go, Pereira. Almost sounds like Peroni um, in his grasp, and you know that's exactly what you're saying. Like he, it's his first time in that environment. He had basically played 71 holes amazingly and he gets to that pivotal point where he's still got a, a lead in the open and he, he double bogeys the last hole to not even put himself in a playoff. And, you know, that's the hero-villain scenario yeah. massively, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And, you know, hopefully he bounces back from that, but that can either thrive or ruin a career a moment like that yeah and look I'm with you I hope that he can at some point have his moment and realise that and he actually learnt from arguably what he would probably consider to be quite an embarrassing moment I hope he doesn't look at it as embarrassing but you know the world are going to sort of label him as a bit of a choker aren't they because we've had a few over there we, yeah. who was the Frenchman that blew the British Open a few years some years back and then we had we had um, and and then of course we had the Australian um, the shark. Um, Greg Norman. Yeah, we had Greg Norman uh, blow the Masters, didn't we, back in the early nineteen nineties? And then yeah, the famous Frenchman who blew the British Open. Anyway, we probably should talk the Crusaders, shouldn't we? Well, I guess so because look, fundamentally they they had a pretty uh, sort of I guess I won't use the word easy, but a fundamental task of going out and making sure that they denied the drawer any access to their ability to break a game open with nothing to lose attitude and cause them a lot of heartache and a lot of problems. Uh, they, they methodically went about their business. So I think their match over the weekend kind of just sort of sat there idling away because ultimately they got the result, they got the bonus point and everything we expected out of it. And you can sometimes gloss over that what I where you just go, oh, well, you know, yeah, they, they were expected to win and... But you've still got to go out there and do that. And the Drew has caused plenty of teams in this competition problems. But uh, the Crusaders just looked like they knew what they were, that they needed to achieve. They got the job done. 
They didn't come out with any major injuries, and their momentum just continues. Yeah, I, I, I was sort of having a little jog today, thinking about maybe some of the question lines for you today, Justin. And um, I was talking to a guy by the name of Graham Patterson yesterday, who's the Crusaders' biggest fan. And um, yep, yep. And, and I was talking about Mitchell Drummond um, along the way and Bryn Hall, and I felt that they'd probably been both of them had been disappointing in that in that middle of the season when the Crusaders perhaps weren't playing that well. Uh, clearly, somebody's had a bit of a word to them because I think there's been a noticeable improvement from um, certainly from Bryn Hall. When a halfback's not playing well, what genuinely defines that? What are the aspect? What makes a halfback not play well, or, or, or what what suddenly changes? Pressure. So when you're not playing well, the pressure comes on you to perform. So the expectation levels rise a bit more than what they are usually sitting at because you know you're not playing well. But what, what a good nine does, um, very much like a 10, they, they have to be good decision makers. And generally, you have to pick the right person out to distribute to. You have to, to, to you know, choose the right way to go, left or right, and, and play in the, in, the, in the areas that are productive. And when you're slightly guessing yourself and become indecisive because you're, you're unsure and you're slightly off your game, and, and, and like when you're not decisive, it totally affects everybody around you, and and that's that's when you start to struggle. And and it, I went through that period. There's no doubt about it. And so, so when a halfback sort of loses their form, it's more around decision making. Absolutely, it is because it's a key area where the, if everybody around sees the, the nine going in there and the ball's available and he's in there and he's clearing it or he's taking steps, whatever he might be doing, or then he slows it down to sit back to kick. Everyone else reacts around that movement and around that body language. But when a halfback goes in there and he's thinking, oh, what, am I going to clear it? Or is it on to the right? Is it on to pass? Is it on, should I run? And goes in there and hesitates. Everybody else hesitates. They can't help themselves because that person hasn't been decisive. And... I certainly know when I was going through a difficult period, but you sort of around 99 leading into 2000 and there was, you know, a lot of chat going around about the way I was playing. You know, Wayne Smith came to me and, and that, that was the very message that I think resonated with me the most was he said, you've got to play on instinct and be decisive, be the player that you, you, you are and have been and, and go out and Take the game by control because you know what you're doing is right. You look like every time you approach the ball, you're thinking about it. And that's taking up time and it's making you non-decisive, which is affecting everyone else. But more importantly, it's affecting your decision making. So how did you shift from being a form halfback to suddenly moving into that mindset where you went from being very instinctive and playing your natural game to suddenly second-guessing yourself? Was it because people were in your ear, because it, you were getting coached by yep. committee, were you reading the newspapers? I mean, how did you, yeah, how did you, how did that downward spiral begin? Yeah, you pretty much touched on all of it. You know, I was reading the newspaper, uh, the media were on my back. Um, you know, obviously I had the pressure of my, um, my past throughout my career and, and distribution, so when things ultimately went wrong in a game for me and I had an average game, you know, people didn't see that I missed three or four tackles, uh, knocked the ball on a couple of times um, and, you know, was really inaccurate in other areas. I'd just go straight to the, the passing game and I would go, well, if you actually looked at the game for 80 minutes, I didn't miss a target all day, but I still had a shit game. 
uh, there's no doubt about it. I missed four tackles. I knocked it on three times. I spilled a couple of passes. I made poor decisions, but they'd always go at me for the pass. And I was just like sitting around thinking, well, that's not fair. You're analysing me in the wrong way because mm-hmm. you're breaking my game down critically, but you're not doing it um, accurately. And that that started to weigh on me. And I started to, you know, started to feel that pressure thinking, well, you know, like I'm never going to shake this away from me because the minute that I knocked the ball on, I haven't knocked it on. I've just thrown a poor pass and I'm slow and I'm, you know, so it culminates and all of a sudden you start doubting yourself and you feel that pressure. So it's hard to get away from. And the role of the halfback, I mean, the role of the halfback, if the halfback's not playing well, how much does that impact on a team versus maybe saying a number six who perhaps is not playing well? Does the halfback carry? Does the halfback carry more responsibility? Absolutely, yeah, more so because, like I said, it's a key decision-making area where, where, where you run, where you pass, where you kick, um, you know, and, and, and tempo of the game. You know, look, there's no doubt that the All Blacks went away from my style of uh, halfback, Jimmy Cowan, Pity Whipu. Uh, moving into a new way of playing the game to an Aaron Smith type player because they they knew that every time there was a breakdown, he was at least the second, maybe the third uh, arriving player and the ball was going to be gone like that. And so they could pick players around that type of player that, um, you know, thrived on that environment, thrived on front football, thrived on the knowledge that it was being moved quickly and that the defence didn't have to reorganise themselves. So, yeah, the, the whole team dynamic, like when Aaron Smith doesn't start, the All Blacks have to rethink the way that their game plan mm. um, is implemented on the day. And, and that's the role that the halfback has, you know. a good Think about Fouri Dupree. South Africa, during his period, went to a really negative mindset game of only playing in the opposition's half because, man, the guy could box kick. So they just set themselves around getting to an area of the field where he could box kick, they would compete, win the ball back, and get points. Okay, so uh, before we do just take the break then, Justin, I'll just ask you this then, uh, based on your observations. So we saw the Crusaders uh, getting beaten by the Waratahs. They bounced back the following week against the Western Force. They then went and beat um, the Brumbies in a very good display and, again, absolutely walloped the Fiji and drew up. Did you notice off the back of the Waratahs game and improved performances from Mitchell Drummond and improved performances from Bryn Hall? And was that a key part in terms of, you know, resetting? I think also it's about um, Scott Robertson getting to the point where he now knows he, he has to choose a regular 9-10 combination leading into a really important part of the season. And I think those players are very well aware of that. You know, you've got Tahiri and Angi in the mix as well who've got yep. an opportunity. Yep. So that would have nipped them both in the butt as well. Um, and I certainly think that now they, they are aware as players that they've both been working together really nicely in balance. But at the end of the day, someone has to wear the nine jersey and, and someone has to wear the 21 and or the 20, whatever it might be. But depending on your back row, uh, your, your, your forward mix, backs mix. So... Significantly, I've seen a real shift in Bryn Hall. He was really, really good the other night, uh, and I think he has probably gained the momentum. 
16 minutes after 7, you're listening to In The Red. We are putting the spotlight and focus on Crusaders rugby. If you've got any thoughts, you can test us here on double eight double three. Mark Watson alongside of me, Justin Marshall. Yeah, Mark Watson in for Ricardo Ball, Justin Marshall uh, alongside of me. We do apologise for the slightly poor audio quality, just having a few technical difficulties with Justin out of Queenstown there. And Justin, just talking to the Crusaders, we've been putting the spotlight and focus a little bit on the position of halfback there with Mitchell Drummond um, and the likes of Bryn Hall. The Crusaders don't seem to build their game around a lot of box kicking. Is, is that a... Why, why is the reason for that? Well, look, I think the balance of the game has got to be right. And the Highlanders are a classic example of a side that have really struggled to find their mojo because they have not found a way to, I guess, showcase the the, 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 the yeah, attack that they've got on their side because of their inability to want to use the ball because they want to kick it away in the wrong areas. And... When you look across the board with the Crusaders, this is a side that I think don't want to kick the ball to the opposition unless it's absolutely necessary. And when they do, the kicking has to be to win it back because they've got such good exponents of retrieving the ball back in the air. Uh, and, and that's across the board. Now, Fying a look who's good in the air. George Bridge is good in the air. Believe it or not, Seve Reese doesn't look like he's a big tall winger and he actually isn't, but you know, he's got ma- he's got massive plyometric skills. So, you know, that in general, sort of speaking terms, game plan orientated, uh, they're, they're not a side, I think, that wants to, because they're so good with the ball, give it away unless they can win it back. And uh, I believe that's a more proactive way to play. Uh, and saying that, they do kick in areas it has surprised me at times, which is further down, and that's not halfback kicking, but um, you know, I think that's sort of related to trying to go to flex their muscle mm. when they need to with their scrum and line out and pinning the opposition territory wise. At your prime, how much work did you do on the box kick and was it about clearance or how strategic was it in terms of distance, well, horizontal versus vertical? Heaps, heaps of work. Um yeah, it was, all, it was all about both, really. It was about making sure that in certain areas you, you get a bit more length on the box kick uh, and others you make them contestable. Uh, and in other parts, which I started to develop sort of late in my career, probably too late, but I would have liked to have thought about it a bit sooner, was making it really difficult for the fullback or the wingers to catch, which um, I started to do later in my career and more so when I went to the UK, which was, do what you see now, um, particularly in rugby league, and you see some rugby players doing it where, uh, for one of what I, a uh, better word, but what I called it was hit a snowflake, which basically means you're hitting the ball right in the belly of the ball. So when you hit it right on the end of the ball, the revolutions are going to be the way that they are. If you hit it on the side of the ball, you hit a spiral. But if you get it right flush in the middle of the ball, um, you'll create that, basically snowflake effect where the ball is floating its way back down and that's just the general um, way that the ball operates if you hit it in that capacity and that makes it really difficult to time and uh, a, a jump for like any, anyone that will know that if someone hits you a really good ball that's hit like that um, it's impossible nearly to jump and try and catch it in the air you have to wait for it to come down you see players hover under it thinking 
oh my god and it's literally like catching a snowflake dripping down out of the sky so yeah that all of those variations come into play Okay, Justin, I'm actually, you're probably not sure if you can see it or not, but I'm actually wearing a Mount Albert grammar hat on, right? Which means we're going to talk Jack Goodyear right now. I wore it in honour of Jack, one of the yep. good guys. Um, what are you made of his form now? Is he slowly sort of moving his way more and more into all-black contention? Yeah, first of all, I can see it. It's quite white, Mark. So, no, it's, it's uh, light blue. It's sky blue, mate. We, we beat St. Kennigan's on the weekend, Auckland Grammar the week before, by the way, just threw that in. But anyway, yeah, it's, it's sky okay. blue. Yep. Oh, is it? Okay, very nice. Yeah. Well, yeah, I um, certainly know that he is a grammar boy, and uh, he's made his way back into the environment really well. Um, look, let me think about this. He's got some really... Uh, let's talk about the Crusaders. Scott Robertson had some really difficult decisions to make coming up. Now, they, they are um, final round Robin game against the Reds at home, and then it's quarterfinals, semifinals, final. Now, that's full-strength team. No, no messing around, no uh, all-black minutes, no um, keeping players happy. It's business time. Crusaders play finals football. That's how they roll. So when they get to that part of the season, there's no, there's, there's none, there's no of this put an arm around a player because he hasn't played any minutes sort of carry on. It's about putting your best team out there. It's a ruthless side. And unless someone gets injured, it goes out week to week to week. Um, you know, we can go through the dynamics of it. You know, middle row is one of those positions. Um, he's got some decisions in the front row with some of the young boys really stepping up, like Newell and Bauer, um, you know, um, who have been outstanding. And back row, you know, is it Christie, is it Matera? Where does Blackadder fit into the mix? There's lots of decisions there, but probably the one that's going to cause them the most headaches, leading um, back to your question, is midfield. Um, yeah, he played Jack Goodhue at 12 at the weekend uh, with Enor outside. I thought Enor was outstanding. I thought he was more outstanding than Jack. Um, but you're going, to, you're going to flourish when the team is playing expansive rugby. Look at the um, all the goals that Fergus Burke kicked. They were pretty much out on the touchline. So the, the centres and the wings prospered from the way the Crusaders are playing. So Enor's going to look a little bit more, I guess, glossy than what Jack, uh, Jack Goodhue did. Now, Havili comes back into the mix. Um, somehow he's got to work out that back three. Bridge got an opportunity. Flying Anuku can obviously play centre, and he's a threat across the park. So lots and lots of headaches. Like The question you asked me was, Jack Goodhue, um, I, I, I ha- sitting there in your, in your you know, grammar blue cap, um, he, he's the one that's, at the moment, probably not where the others are. Yep. But that doesn't mean that he can't be there. Comes finals football. You're not going to ups- you're, not, you're not upsetting me, Justin. I, I, I just yeah, just want to get your thoughts on it. Yeah, well, I'm a massive Jack Goodhue fan. That's the problem. But I'm a massive Jack Goodhue fan at centre. Oh, me too. One hundred percent agree. One hundred percent agree. Yeah. So it's then. I don't believe that Braden Enor plays twelve. He's he's a wing centre. So that basically means if Jack Goodhue's playing, he's He's pushing out Enor and Faiganuku, and he's your starting centre. Faiganuku has to start. He's the form back apart from Jordan. So And Sebu Reese, I guess. So you know, I'll contradict myself a little bit there. There's three good players there, but he's a, he, he, he can't be left out. So he has to play one of those two positions, um, centre or wing. Um, look, I, I, if it was me at the moment, and I was starting the quarterfinal, because of Jack has, hasn't had the, the amount of rugby, and he's gone 12 and he's gone 13... 
uh, and he's he's still kind of finding his way back into rhythm, I would go Havili Inoue at the moment. There you go. But I would, in saying that, I wouldn't be disappointed if he started Jack Goodhue at 13, but I wouldn't be convinced that that's the right decision, if that makes sense. It does, Justin Marshall. And as always, mate, love the fact that you're not afraid to have an opinion. Justin, it's been an absolute privilege and a pleasure as always. Another edition of In the Red, and good luck against the Reds this weekend. Thank you, mate. Thanks to all the listeners for joining us in the red um, and uh, looking forward to this weekend and then the finals. Yes, boy. Should be good. <laughs> Just 28 and a half minutes after seven. You're listening to SENZ Texas here on double eight double three. Coming up next, we'll turn it up. We'll change it up. We will talk Pacifica rugby. It is Pacifica Flair next.